Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans. It's Tony Marchese tonight, joined by NWI Steve. Steve, it's been way too long since we've heard that intro. I miss baseball. I know you miss baseball. How you doing on this cold, dreary November Sunday night, man? Anthony, I'm I'm doing all right, although today I might be known as Central Indiana Steve. I'm coming to everybody on location here from lovely Indianapolis, Indiana. Came down here to get a second opinion on the finger injury that I sustained a couple weeks ago, looking to see if I can get medical clearance and just get back out there. So, you know, let's have a little fun here. There you go. And I see you've got the Coors Light there. Uh, You're drinking uh, on brand for you, uh, the Coors Light. I'm rocking the Budweiser. Steve, it's great to be back on the microphone. But before we get into everything, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports news. Uh, This man right here, NWI Steve's thoughts on the White Sox. If you're listening to this, you're pretty sure you're a White Sox fan. Steve had a nice little article out there this week about uh, the the Detroit Tigers and what they might be doing to the White Sox in the not-so-distant future. Uh, and for everybody to go check that one out and all the other good work that the writers at ontapsportsnet.com do. Steve, we've got a couple of topics to talk about tonight. Um, We were just talking before the show. I said, I don't know how much White Sox news we can talk about. And then we listed off about like 30 things that we wanted to get into. So we'll see if we can cover it all. Um, How is the finger though? That's what the people are here for. Well, look, um, as I mentioned, you know, I came down here to see a specialist, see if I can get a second opinion on this. I'm looking to try to get medical clearance, want to get back out there on a rehab assignment. Um, so ultimately, I'm at the mercy of the medical profession here at this juncture. So hopefully things are, are fruitful down here and I'm able to get a clean bill of health and start that rehab assignment in short order. That's awesome. We'll get you out there on uh, Shar Nights on Tap. Uh, you can you can work that for a little while, cover their offseason, and get yourself back up here. But while we're doing this tonight, Steve, first thing we want to get into is just you know free agency. What's going on around the league? I think that's a good place to start, at least in my opinion, because the elephant in the room we talked about on Crosstown on Tap with Cody um, just about a week ago here. Uh, you know, the elephant in the room, Steve, is that uh, there's going to be a lockout. And I think that most baseball fans who are watching this know that they can sense it. I think we can sense it, it makes everybody uneasy. So why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on with uh, with this deadline that we're going to be fastly approaching here in what, two weeks? Yeah. Midnight, December 1st, collective bargaining agreement expires and Jeff Passan who's probably the one or one a with Ken Rosenthal, as far as the national baseball reporters, um, obviously doing his work for ESPN. Passon actually had an interesting article earlier in the week, commenting that there is some belief amongst league executives that some of the top free agents out there. And he mentioned specifically Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, and a couple of other guys that he thinks they may actually sign prior to the expiration 
of the collective bargaining agreement on December 1st, which would be a tremendous departure from what we've seen in free agency over the last, I would say, four to five years where this process has typically dragged into late December or excuse me, late January, even early February, just a couple of weeks prior to the beginning of spring training. So if that happens and we start to see a little bit of action here before the end of this month, I think a lot of baseball fans would be pretty happy to see that because the last two years or so, uh, the winter meetings have just been completely dead. I remember all the big hoopla going into the winter meetings in Vegas a couple of years ago when Manny Machado um, you know, left the White Sox at the altar and you know the Sox supposedly had a meeting with Bryce Harper in Vegas. Was that not the most wild offseason? Just I'm going to go way off track for, as a White Sox fan. Was that not the most wild offseason for you, like in the Twitter age and Manny oh. Machado and rumors and this and that? I'm just thinking back. That was a wild offseason. Hands down. I mean, you think about all the stuff that we saw, just all the unsubstantiated reports of, oh, look, there's a video of Manny Machado. Is he wearing a White Sox hat backwards? And then you have all these goofy reports that he – flew into Milwaukee and was taking a limo from Milwaukee down to Chicago because he wanted to be incognito because he didn't want people to know that he was going to visit the Sox. And we saw so much of that. And just, I think that was the beginning of the Chicago based uh, food Twitter accounts kind of trying to break news. So yeah, really took hold in, uh, in White Sox Twitter land. If, uh, if you're not familiar with White Sox Twitter land uh, and listen to the show on other platforms, yes, there is some food accounts that tend to break news. Uh, but we still go back that uh, I, my, my favorite is the Reddit boards, man, the Reddit boards. And what was that? Uh, Katy Perry's booty hole. And who was yep. the other one? Um, Wet butt 23. Wet butt 23. Yes. Rick Hans uh, burner accounts out there on Reddit breaking news before it happens. But Steve, I'm sorry to derail you there. I just wanted to think back. You threw out Manny Machado. We're in the off season already. And I'm just, you know, we're, I'm starting to get those kind of like off season feelings. And I just don't think that anything's ever going to compare to that. So go ahead. I think that's very fair, but um Again, I think it would be a rapid departure from what we've seen over the last couple of years if some of these marquee players do sign before the month of December. That's just been very atypical from what we've seen league-wide over the last couple of seasons. And I think overall it would probably be good for the game and just good for overall fan interest. And from the player's perspective, I think it is helpful to create a level of cost certainty for them because the fact of the matter is, Nobody knows what the economic structure of Major League Baseball is going to look at with this new collective bargaining agreement that's coming into place. There is obviously a lot of speculation and a lot of belief that the Players Association wants to try to implement a salary floor to try to combat tanking that has really taken over the sport, I would say, in the last six to seven well, you, years. You saw Scott Boris make some comments the other day about, you know, there's only, what did he say, 17 or 20, 17 teams that yeah. are trying to compete. I don't know the exact number, but it wasn't wasn't a full 30 next year. And then, like, as a baseball fan, Steve, you kind of know that. You kind of know when your team is competitive, when they're not going to be competitive, what a rebuild is. And I think to a certain extent, the Sox might have been, depending on where this collective bargaining agreement goes, might have been one of the last teams that was able to really tear things down to the studs. You've got some teams that are in the process of it right now. But the White Sox might be the last team that was able to completely tear something down to the studs and rebuild in that traditional sense. And wouldn't that be wild? 
Um, I think the Oakland A's would like a word with you right now. They're in a perpetual rebuild. There's a difference. There's yeah, a difference. but you know they they like to call them cycles. You know they go through their competitive cycle and then once their marquee guys start getting to arbitration, then all of a sudden it's time to just completely rip everything down to the studs. Um, so that's where we're seeing all the speculation about Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, anybody of any kind of value with the Oakland A's is seemingly on the market now. And we're getting to that fun point already in the offseason of Yankee fans proposing trading some, uh, the, the 25th man on their single-A roster um, for Matt Chapman because that's apparently a fair trade. So um, it's really one of the favorite times of year when you just start to see some of these mock trade proposals because, man, they really are special. So I've stayed out of the mock trade proposal game for a long time because I feel like – the, the mock trade proposal thing is a, is a really interesting off-season topic. It's a lot easier as a fan to identify what guys are going to be on the move at the deadline, where teams are that year. I feel like anybody who comes up with, with trade proposals in the off-season, I mean, you're really – it's shooting in the dark, at least to me. And you start to see some of the most ridiculous stuff, Steve, like, like what you just explained. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen during the season, but I try and stay out of the mock trade game in the off season, especially this year with the new CBA, because there's all different types of uh, value that can be created. If there was a salary floor, like we've had that discussion about certain roster or, or players on the white Sox roster. Would, would the Cubs have been able to get out of the Jason Hayward contract at one point? When you have a floor, you have a cap like other sports. I mean, you know, go look at hockey real quick here, too. You can trade a player who's injured but still on your books. In baseball, the owner's the owner's the one who still has to fork over that cash. Mm-hmm. So you can't move those contracts the same way. And I think there is definitely going to be opposition from owners in terms of trying to implement the salary floor with that. I think especially teams like your Baltimore's and your Pittsburgh's and your Oakland's of the world, they don't want to be forced to have to take on some of these bad contracts because a guy like Dallas Keuchel then would fit an objective for teams like that if they have to get to that salary floor. And they simply don't want to do that. So, you know, there's been a lot of speculation here that this is going to be, be where do you go? If that's a, if that's a big ask from the PA, I mean, we could be here for a long time. Well, then that's that's one of the things that was kind of talked about this week and that we saw a little bit on Twitter.com was there are people out there that believe this thing is going to be at a complete standstill until mid-February, until right around the time when pitchers and catchers are expected to report. And then there could be an NBA-style frenzy of free agent activity of guys signing so that they can get into camps right away. And I think that's part of the reason why some of these players like a Corey Seager, like a Marcus Simeon, would try to sign in advance of the expiration of the current CBA so that they create a level of certainty so that they know where they're going. And if they have families, they know where they're going to be uprooting them potentially and not having to play this two-and-a-half-month waiting game that looks like is going to definitely happen. Yeah, and I can see where that's something that uh... – you know, certain guys would want to do, and the, and the White Sox is as we're going to get into. Uh, one of those guys you mentioned right there, Marcus Simeon. You know, you 
Is he is he going to shine early? Are we going to get a are we going to get an early Christmas present? A Thanksgiving Mar- present. Sorry, it's not yet December. I think Marcus Simeon is going to sign early. He's not going to be coming home though. I'll tell you that much. And I remember being one of the most vocal opposition members of that trade when it took place when he went to Oakland in exchange for Jeff Samardra. Um I just don't envision a scenario in which Jerry Reinsdorf is going to spend nine figures on a second baseman. Um, I would love to think that that's going to happen. I occasionally like to entertain fairy tales. That's just not one of them. How much do you think Buzz wants the White Sox to sign Marcus Simeon right now? You know, I uh, for, for anybody watching that doesn't know, I actually had the opportunity to go see our boy uh, Buzz, a.k.a. Burt Drink, on uh, Friday night for a little bit. We, we kind of talked about this. He, he basically told me that he's ready to be hurt again. He really wants. Marcus I haven't had this conversation with him yet, and that's why yeah. I'm asking you. Um, when when Buzz and I talk these days, it's less about the White Sox than than anything else. Um, which we got to change that. I, I wish he was on the show right now so I could ask him, you know, point blank. But I just have a feeling Buzz is a big Marcus Simeon guy. He, he just he, really wants the Sox to sign Marcus Simeon. He definitely is, and like I said, he told me that he's ready to be hurt again. You know, the uh, the famous Michael Scott line from The Office. Yep, yeah, bless I'm his ready, heart. I'm ready to be hurt again. Bless his heart. I don't think the White Sox are signing Marcus Simeon either. I think that, you know, you're probably going to see a reunion with uh, one Lurie legend at some point. I I go back and forth on that, honestly. there's I've heard from some people that he wants to – kind of get paid a little bit more and wants to guarantee more playing time. And the question then ultimately is going to become, will he be able to get both of those things here with the White Sox? We know Tony Larissa was a major advocate for him, especially at the end yes. of the season. But, you know. See, here's the thing, Steve, is is that us as, as people who watch this team play baseball all the time, I don't think that Lurie Garcia is – a bad option to have out on the field in, in a lot of different scenarios. I think that he's, you know, he's been around, but I really want him to be my, my utility guy. Like at the end of the day, I want Larry Garcia to be my utility guy because he's got versatility. He can come in in, in, in defensive situations. Uh, he can play some outfield. He can play some infield all over, all over the place. He's just so versatile. The, it, almost giving him a starting role at certain points in time kind of hinders him a little bit. I think the second nature to that is, you know, he wants to get paid, but does he, does he realize what he has in Chicago and an opportunity to go win a championship? So what's going to come as the higher priority? Because for Lurie Garcia, most competing teams, I'd say, Steve, he's going to fall short of being that second baseman. That's going to get all this time. Now, if you go out there, some of these rebuilding teams or, you know, now Simeon's leaving uh, Oakland, like Lurie Garcia would be the big fish in the small pond, but he's the smaller fish in the big pond, so to speak here. Does he want the money or does he want to go win a championship with the team that he's played on for so long? And what's the market going to be like for him? You're talking about a signing frenzy. I, I think he's, he's a good baseball player. I really do. Johnny's going to listen to this and be like, this is the most slanderous you've ever been towards Lurie Garcia. But Steve, are, are you kind of with me here where it's like, I don't know, if I'm Larry Garcia, I'm, I'm I'm waiting the White Sox out to see if they sign a guy like Simeon or if they bring back Cesar Hernandez, which I do not think that they will do. Crazier things have happened. But 
I'm kind of waiting out that market and then coming back to the White Sox because, A, they know me the most. There's a lot of familiarity there. And you know that this team is going to be competing for a playoff spot again next year. Well, that's the area where it's kind of hard to understand a player's motivation. You know, what is Leary ultimately looking for? Is he looking to win a championship with the team that he's been on since 2013? And people don't, people seem to forget this. He's the longest tenured member of this White Sox team coming over in the Alex Rios trade. I mean, what's he going to do playing somewhere else when he doesn't have Johnny in the stands cheering him on? That's a tremendous question. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, is there, is there a Johnny Nani equivalent in the nasty natty? That um, would would take Larry Garcia under. These are all under questions his wing. that need to be answered. These are things he's got to think about. And he's ultimately got to make that decision. What is more important to him? He this could be his chance at the biggest contract of his career, or like we talked about, does he want to ultimately be here to see this thing come to fruition? Having gone through all the shit years from 2013 up until last year, and just that whole disaster that period of time that we like to forget about. He was here for all of it. So it's hard to kind of understand what his motivation is going to be ultimately. No, and I can understand that, Steve. I can, I can, I can certainly understand that uh, this is an opportunity for him to go make generational wealth. Um, and so that, that does play a factor here as well. I'm just thinking from the standpoint of, you know, somebody who's, not really a leader on the team, but I think he's kind of a leader in the clubhouse. There's a lot of those kind of guys the White Sox have uh, or had last year talking about, you know, your Billy Hamiltons of the world and and some of these other guys who aren't your everyday, uh, you know, sluggers or, or heroes, but they're, they've got their own spot on this roster that made 2021 very, very special for this White Sox team. So it's going to be really interesting to see where they go uh, with some of this stuff. Um, We've kind of touched on the Simeon stuff. There's a little bit of Michael Conforto out there, uh, right field. I don't know how I'm feeling about that one, Steve. We kind of talked about it very briefly uh, before we started the show, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm not like the biggest Michael Conforto guy. Like that to me, like I think it might move the needle for some people, but I think that like overall, I, I I'm still like that's not the premier free agent type guy that, you know, I think people are clamoring for, and there's enough risk there where that one can bite you in the ass real hard. So Conforto would definitely serve a functional purpose for this team. He's a premier left-handed bat that handles right-handed pitching very well. I think for his career, he's like a 130 WRC plus against right-handers, but he is pretty much strictly a platoon bat. He's he's below league average when it comes to facing left-handed pitching. And he historically had been a good right fielder defensively, but for whatever the reason, his metrics, if you look at uh, defensive runs saved or um, you know some of the other um, outs above average from StatCast, his numbers kind of went the wrong direction in 2021. So there are some concerns with that. He's a, another guy, though, that would, I think, add – a different dimension to the lineup being a guy that takes a lot of pitches, draws a lot of walks, can work counts, and also has some significant pops. So there, there are quite a few trade-offs involved with that that really would create a true platoon situation, maybe with Adam Engel then serving in right field ultimately against left-handed pitchers. 
So, I just, I, you know, you, you're starting to talk about at bats from one of my favorite players lacking next year, Steve. And I just can't accept you going down that road because if, if you sign Conforto, you're getting a little bit redundant with Gavin Sheets, no? I, I I know that hurts. I know he's your baby boy, and you have to look out for him. I understand you're a proud papa. But... I will advocate. I will advocate until I'm blue in the face. I think that there's something there. I think that there's something there. Well, listen, you know, you know, Anthony. I I understand that. Uh, again, I didn't get look... covered in funnel cake powdered sugar for nothing. <laughs> it's powdered sugar. It's delicious. It is. It is. And when Gavin Sheets hits home runs after you buy an eight dollar funnel cake, it can wind up all over you. I think I was wearing this shirt too. That's just cost of doing business if we're being completely honest. Yeah, it is. But you know, I think you know, with Conforto a little bit, you, you do get someone who's a little bit more developed. You can kind of take Gavin Sheets. You know, if I if I'm gonna take my love for Gavin Sheets away for a second, I think if you sign Conforto, you can take what you got from Gavin Sheets in that second half and kind of account for it all year a little bit more. So that's like kind of the smart baseball move. Like, here's our left-handed guy that can come in in these situations, just absolutely mash righties, but we're going to have to hide them. I think where you try, you've got to try and balance that because you saw a half year from a rookie in Gavin sheets that I don't know if you convince Jerry Reinsdorf to open up the pocketbook and be like, let's try and sign the guy. Hold hold on here. Did, Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, you did. I don't think you can convince. I don't. I do not think you can convince Jerry Reinsdorf to go write a check to somebody off the premise that, hey, look at how effective Gavin Sheets was. We need to have that all year, and he's a risk to maybe fall off. But we're gonna have to go give this amount of money to somebody who's also gonna go through his struggles and only useful for this. I think Jerry says run with Gavin. I, I really do. And yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Oh, I mean, listen, if if Jerry Reinsdorf is presented with two options, and if one of them involves him being able to line his coffin with more dollar bills, we know which one I'm he's just, gonna take. I'm just in my basement talking White Sox baseball <laughs> on Sunday night, on a cold Sunday night in November, Steve. I, I I don't know if that's what everything's gonna come down to. Those are just my thoughts. Right off the bat, like I don't think you're going to see Conforto. I don't think you're going to see Marcus Simeon. I think you're probably going to see the White Sox maybe make one impact trade. And I think that it's going to be geared towards either the bullpen or the uh, the front end of the rotation. And I think that's one of the areas that we've talked about semi-regularly here on recent shows or if just you know through text, what have you, or, or some of our phone discussions that we have during the course of, of the week. And that's really where we talk about some of the redundancy of guys like Eloy, Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, and you even can throw in Gavin Sheets, even though Gavin does have that different dimension as far as being a left-handed hitter. But we're talking about a lot of corner guys that don't have a tremendous amount of Can defensive. I make a bold prediction? I like bold prediction, so yes. I think if you don't work some sort of trade out and they want to cheap out on this, and I don't even – when I say cheap out, I'm not saying that they 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 cheaped out. It's maybe you maybe you make an offer to Marcus to me and you don't get it. Maybe There's still going to be the public Hashtag outcry. Hashtag seat, seat at the table? There, yeah, seat at the table. There's going to be public outcry with it. But I think potentially if you're trying to have a versatile 
offense, a, a versatile defense, the way that Tony LaRusso likes to play the game. You may see a, a major league ready bat that's been at the AAA level, maybe seen some major league level play this year. A guy like Jake Berger, maybe he's taken reps all offseason at second base. And you don't bring back Lurie Garcia. And you've got another bet there. You've seen Berger slim down. You've seen him take some reps there during the season, Steve. And and you wait out. Maybe you do that. You roll with, uh, what is it, Romy Gonzalez. Kind of a platoon split there. And you can throw your money at the front end of the rotation if you can get Berger's bat into the lineup a little bit. And then maybe you just wait around for, uh, what is it, uh, Yolbert Sanchez a year later and see where you're at there and you make your impact move knowing what you're playing with after the CBA comes up. I just have a hard time thinking that they are going to roll with uncertainty with guys like Jake Berger. But can you get through – here's the question I'll ask you to add on to that. Can you get through April, May, June with Romy Gonzalez and Jake Berger? You've seen Andrew Vaughn. Like, everything's on the table now, man. You saw Andrew Vaughn go out there and play left field on uh, at the drop of a hat. You've seen him come in and play some second base. Maybe it's a three-man split there when you've got the best bat in the lineup. You saw the Milwaukee Brewers do some of this stuff a couple of years ago. Just get the bats in the lineup, and maybe you can kind of help yourself there. And then at the deadline, if you've got somebody who's a, a premier second baseman, kind of how you saw the – the market developed this year with a guy like Trevor Story. If you need to help there because the defense is so bad, go go grab somebody to kind of shore that up. If second base is your worst problem on the field, but you've got massive holes in your rotation, I don't give a shit there. Like just plug that up with a good bat that's gonna, you know, take care of the problem when you miss a double play here and there. I just don't know if you go piss off Tim Anderson that way. I think that's where I'm kind of looking at that as the only downfall. No, I I get the perspective on it. I just, like I said, I feel like we're at a point, especially given the way that the season ended, that this team is going to try to create as much certainty across the diamond as they possibly can. And that's where, again, I think... There's your factor, though. There's your factor. They're trying to create certainty, but certainty comes at a cost. It, do, it does, but I think that's where you look at guys like Andrew Vaughn, like Eloy, or Gavin, and some of the duplication of the skill sets that, that are there and look at, okay, do we use one of these guys to find a little bit more versatility? I saw the name Cattell Marte kind of thrown around on Twitter.com earlier in the weekend. Cattell Marte is a guy that I think would fit this team tremendously and would provide a lot exactly of value the, there. I know exactly the Twitter thread that you're talking about. I think Ray Durham's <laughs> name may have been mentioned in that one. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little, you know, somebody who likes to think he's white sex Twitter's best heel, but you know, it's all relative. <laughs> we all have our, our self given, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. You know, he, he, he also, you know, thinks that a certain third baseman isn't very good at baseball, but you know, nobody well, ever said he was smart. Yeah. <laughs> You and Ken just need to get on a microphone <laughs> together and sort all of this out. Um, you know, I, where I'm going with this is, you know, the, Steve, the biggest problem that I have with all of this, with the duplication of the roster stuff, with all of the, you know, what's the profile of of person that the White Sox have too much of? G- give me that profile and what is their bat supposed to do? 
the profile that they have too much of are guys that are right hand hitting power first guys that don't necessarily take a lot of walks, maybe league average to slightly, maybe slightly above on base. Um, you know, high grade power, you know, to raw power, maybe like a 60, 65 grade power. Okay, I'll, I'll stop you there. You said this a million times on this show. Ball go far, team go far. It, Where were the home runs? Where were the fireworks? That that's been, if if these guys who we had so much of did what they were supposed to do, you can argue that their record could have been far better than it was in the regular season. Counselor you, rebut, rebuttal. Go ahead. Um, I'll tell you where they were. Aloy Jimenez was on the injured list until late July, and Andrew Vaughn was facing pitching above Winston Salem for the first time in his life. So, and and Luis Robert was on the injured list until August. So there were issues there from the home run standpoint of things. Had they had a fully healthy Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, I think they would have had more home runs throughout the course of the season here. I would so. agree with you, but let's assume that, you know, health isn't guaranteed in baseball. So health is not guaranteed. And I think that a lot of people take that for granted when they start to do projections for, for a season or, you know, what this lineup's going to look like. I'm not saying that the fan graph projections or, you know, your baseball reference projections, but just your, like, as you're thinking about how next year is going to play out, at least for me, this was very eye opening as a fan going through 2021 of just how much shit can happen to your baseball team. Eloy Jimenez, Yasmani Grandal, Nick Madrigal, like Luis Robert. Guys just kept going down. There was some resiliency there. But overall, like you you still plugged other guys in. You you plugged more, I mean, not right-handed when you talk about profile, but you plugged more power guys in throughout the year and Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets. And like you bring these power guys in and they're still not ball flying out of yard all the time. And I think that that's what like we as fans just want to see is like every time Jose Abreu comes up to bat, it should be a home run or double. And if it's not, that's bad. Same thing with Yohan Moncada. Yeah, well, or anybody else in the for line. for what for whatever the reason this year, this team just hit a lot of ground balls. You know, they were bottom five in the league in terms of overall ground ball percentage, and I know a lot of heat was centered around Frank Medicino for that. Medikino is a guy that is very well respected and very well liked by players in that clubhouse that worked with him when he was in Charlotte. And people forget that he was the same guy that was the hitting coach on a team in 2020 that was hitting the living shit out of the ball and hitting home runs at a pretty high rate. So for as much heat as he took, I think a lot of it was unjustified. And I will openly admit there were certain circumstances where I probably level blame on him unjustly as maybe being a little bit too reactionary. I it love happens. socks on tap confession time. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll take ownership of it. The, it the happened. Base, the baseball gods forgive you of your sins, Steve. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love that you did the Sammy Sosa as you crossed home plate. 
<laughs> um, but I, I just think that it, it could have been like with, with Eloy, with all the ground balls that he hit this year and, and the lack of power that he really showed after those first couple of weeks that there could have been some residual effects from the torn pectoral muscle that he had in, in March that ultimately might have compromised his swing. I we would say that there probably was. Yeah, and that was a valid concern that I always had when he came back. We've seen this happen so many times with guys that have either shoulder injuries. You know, we talked about this last Sunday with Cody when we did Crosstown on tap about some of the compromise to Chris Bryant's swing when he had his shoulder injuries there. So that's something that I'm going to be watching for with Eloy over the course of, of next season is as he is a year removed from this torn pectoral does he get back to creating more loft with his swing does he start having that power to right and right center with more regularity that we saw from him latter half of 2019 and 2020 when he was an offensive force so that's something to really be mindful of here in my opinion I absolutely agree with you. There's so much that goes into this. I know we're down the rabbit hole. We're going to transition because I said we got to talk about at least 30 things in this hour. We're a half hour in. We're probably on like five topics right now, Steve. So we're going to go into some uh, some different directions here. There were some awards that were that were announced. There's been some awards that have not yet been announced that the White Sox have found themselves. White Sox players have found themselves either eligible for or have won already. Uh, we're going to start number one because this one's quick. Lance Lynn up for the Cy Young. I know you've been investigating all year why the White Sox traded Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn, one year specifically of Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn, a Cy Young candidate uh, in the AL. Steve, does that right there, that statement right there, you know, kind of help the direction of the investigation? I reached out to my sources. And I posed that very question. And that's a very astute question on your part, Anthony. So listen, very well done there. Um, and there seems to be some consensus that a guy that's a top three finisher in the Cy Young, I don't personally expect him to win it. Um, even though everyone knows I love Lance Lynn. He's nothing but guts and nuts. Been saying that all year. I don't expect him to win the Cy Young, but I generally think that a guy that finishes top three for a team that has openly stated their goal is to win the World Series is probably pretty beneficial and more so than a guy that struggled to give you more than six outs in any appearance over the last six weeks of the season. Furthermore, it was pretty clear cut from the outset that Lance Lynn wanted to be at 35th and Shields long-term. And he, again, is the type of guy that isn't going to command a high annual or high total dollar value contract that aligns very well with a certain frugal 86-year-old owner of a baseball team. So imagine my surprise when Lance Lynn signed an extension to stay I, on the South side for another I honestly years. think this might have been one of Rick Hahn's best deals that he's ever made, Steve, uh, in, in recent memory um, in going out and getting Lance Lynn, a guy that finishes top three, like you said. I don't even think he has to win it. I think that just the fact that he's a finalist in the Cy Young just speaks volumes to 
getting a guy into an environment where he's comfortable, he's fired up, he wants to win another World Series. We talked a little bit about Larry Garcia and what the financial goals and like all this. So you go look at Lance Lynn, um, you know, obviously doesn't take top dollar, um, comes, signs a deal with the White Sox to extend his time here. Loves the fans, loves the atmosphere. He's a little bit of a veteran, wants to play for Tony La Russa. Um, I think that played a little bit into some of this stuff too. Uh, just the attitude fits well here. And he's a leader in, in, the, in the clubhouse as well. We talked about leadership guys. Uh, you've seen guys like Dylan Cease come out uh, and, and talk about the importance of, you know, Lance Lynn in that starting rotation and how he sets that tone for these guys to show that emotion, to get amped up. I think that gives the White Sox a little bit of an edge. Um, you know, everything right there with Lance Lynn. I love it. I think that, uh, you know, like I said, one of Rick Hahn's best, best finds, best deals that he's made in recent memory. And, you know, as I'm thinking about something, I hadn't uh, given this any consideration previously, but I'm in Marion County, Indiana, the birthplace of one Lance Lynn. This could be a great opportunity for me to do some investigative journalism, go to the source, the, the very beginnings of, of the Lance Lynn era, and try to see if maybe I can finally get some resolution to the question that has been plaguing us all season. While I'm here, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to be a team player and put my journalist hat back on. I think you might have to. I think you might have to. I'm, I think you might have to go out tomorrow and get some local quotes about Lance Lynn. You just might have to. Listen, I, I will probably make a little pit stop at uh, St. Elmo Steakhouse, have the shrimp cocktail, and I'm hey, sure Lance, Lance might be there. I don't know where he lives now, but maybe Lance might be there. You never know. I feel, listen, he's talked very much about his affection for a good porterhouse and a good IPA. I feel there's a really good he's chance. He's probably dined there before. I feel there's a real good chance Lance Lynn has had many a prime rib at St. Elmo's. So I think let's that's going to be the starting some, point for the investigation. Yes. Let's do some investigation there, Steve. I, I love that. Let's we're going to talk a little bit more about that after we're done recording. Cause I think that we have some, uh, we have some, some, some groundwork to cover to make that happen. We got a few other things to move on uh, to here, Steve uh, Lance Lynn. Unfortunately, we can't spend, uh, you know, the next 45 minutes talking about the, the Lance Lynn trade, why it happened. But we'll we'll be back with more of that. Steve's going to do his homework on this one. Uh, Dallas Keuchel wins the Gold Glove Award for the fifth time in his career, Steve. And then when you win a, when you win a Gold Glove, not a Cy Young, Dallas, Dallas Keuchel did not win the Cy Young this year by any means. Uh, when Dallas Keuchel wins the Gold Glove Award, obviously there's some media availability. He says some things. Let's start with the gold glove and we'll work towards his statements to the media after that happened. Well, when you give up a lot of contacts, you have a lot of opportunities to field balls in play. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. So that's kind of all I have to say about the gold glove piece of things. Do we want to move on to the more pressing, yeah, let's, more let's, interesting let's, topics? Let's move on to the more pressing stuff. And Steve, I'm just going to give you the floor. I'm going to sit back and drink. You, you take this one because you've got thoughts. Oh, I've got thoughts. Diamond Dallas, shut up. I don't want to hear you open your fucking mouth anymore, okay? You're the guy. You like to talk a lot. You like to position yourself as a leader in that clubhouse. You think that because you're a veteran that you can just come in here and you can say whatever it is you want. Shut up. You were dog shit this year. Period. Paragraph. 
end of story. You want to say that, oh, you're really excited to get back out there next year because you're going to prove everybody wrong and all this and that. Shut up and do it. You opened your mouth a lot this year, and then you did your little pouting routine, not showing up to the ballpark on time for game three of the playoffs because you were unhappy that you weren't on the playoff roster. Guess what? You didn't deserve it. So I don't want to hear from you. You can start talking again when you start getting people out. Make quality pitches, then you can open your mouth. Until that point comes, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to see another Dallas Keuchel quote. Go take your little pictures with Kelly Nash, post them on Instagram, but keep your mouth shut until you start getting people out with regularity. You are very heated about this. You, I, are, I just, you are very heated about this, and you didn't even touch on the the comment that he made in, in regards to if Tony Larusa pushed the team a little bit more last year, and he said, you know, there's no telling what would have happened if the team was pushed more. Maybe we would not have made the playoffs. That's just bullshit. That's that's plain and simple. That's bullshit. So this is where I get a little angry and things start to grind my gears is when Dallas Keuchel talks about, you know, the coach pushing people. When Dallas Keuchel was like one of the first guys to the media last year that, you know, Ricky Renteria didn't have the clubhouse type thing, you know, and guys aren't taking things seriously. So I've kind of seen some flip-flop. From Dallas Keiko. When when he's when he's playing at his best, it's the manager's fault, right? Like, and then uh, when all of a sudden the team's doing well and he's not doing well personally, you know, it's you know, the manager's fine, but like I'm I'm coming back out next year, we're gonna prove it. Like maybe if the manager did more of what I asked the manager to do last year, we wouldn't have made it. Like no, just say that you sucked and that you're going to come back out. You're going to just get to work this offseason and go make things happen. You can tell that either, A, you've kind of hit that point where things aren't working for you anymore, or, B, your head just wasn't in it this year the same way it was in years prior. And somebody brought up to me on Twitter the other day that Dallas Keuchel kind of has like this on again, off again type trajectory with the last few years of his season. And I go kind of like an every other year thing with, yeah. yeah, but really that didn't start until he left Houston because he's got a couple years in Houston where things were consistent. Then he leaves, he goes to Atlanta and I believe he signed late mm-hmm. with Atlanta. That was like in the summer yep. he signs late yep. and he has this kind of really off year. And then he winds up here last year in a COVID season. That was good. And I think he qualified for some Cy Young votes as well himself last season. And then this year he sucks. So this is like kind of recent, man. This is over the last three years. So maybe if there's a pattern, he'll come out next year and and, and do well. But I never really expected Dallas Keuchel to be top end of the rotation guy, Steve, when he signed here. I didn't want him to be top of the rotation. Three, four, even if you're a solid five, you're good. But you just can't get yourself shelled in the second and third innings when you've already got that kind of risk with a guy in Dylan Cease who's got way better stuff than you. That's my problem with, with, with Dallas Keuchel in the rotation is he's so prone to just contact that things can blow up so early that it, you then have to go to a bullpen game and you've got other guys in the rotation that may need a bullpen game. Yeah. 
Lance Lynn is a Cy Young kind of guy, but he's a five, six inning pitcher. You need a workhorse in this rotation. You need somebody who's going to give you six minimum. Seven, eight is the target at least every two to three times through. Sounds like you're advocating for Max Scherzer. I wanted I wanted Adam Wainwright last year. And I think that like even Adam Wainwright came through a little bit with just more volume of innings. And when you're Dallas Keuchel and you're trying to pitch to contact and you're the number five and you're sitting on this contract, you're talking about how you're going to be lights out next year. Would you better like develop a different pitch this offseason so you can get some people out because – if you're giving up this contact and it's not ground balls, you're going to have a lot of problems. That's what makes me mad. All very fair points, Anthony. Like I said, what it ultimately comes down to is he needs to shut up. He needs to go out there, make quality pitches, and get people out. That's it. Until then, I don't want to hear another fucking word out of his mouth. Yeah, and I just want people to hit with runners in scoring position every single time. There's an opportunity for that to happen. Steve, we're at, we're almost at the 45-minute mark. This has been very therapeutic. Uh, let's talk a little bit about an article you wrote at ONTAP Sportsnet in the past week. Um, the Tigers, man. Dallas Keuchel's out there talking about how, you know, maybe you need to be pushed. Maybe if they push us a little more. We wouldn't have won the division, been in the playoffs, all that other stuff. There was nothing in the AL Central. If we look back at this, there was nothing in the AL Central that was stopping the White Sox, even at half capacity, from winning that division. We're looking at the Tigers. There's a lot of people who are upset. You know, A.J. Hinch goes there last year. Um, So you've got a a, a World Series winning manager. You've got a young core. You've got some, some interesting pieces there. Eye on the Tigers, Steve. Eye on the Tigers. What's going on in the worst city in America with their baseball team? It's really fascinating. We're seeing a lot of the national writers out there. John Morosi, who is based up in Michigan, seeing some stuff from passing, even Ken Rosenthal, that they're linked to guys like Eduardo Rodriguez, that they had a presence at Justin Verlander's bullpen session. Obviously, there's a lot of history there with Justin Verlander and the Tigers. Saw, you know, there are some whispers about them maybe trying to bring Max Scherzer back into the fold. And I've always personally thought that the idea of Carlos Correa going to Detroit was something that had a lot of legs to it. I'm just sitting here thinking about Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, and Carlos Correa in Detroit right now. I have really bothering me, dude. I have I have a lot of really bad memories from you know 2010 through 2016 with Scherzer and Verlander in that rotation. Um, Casey Mize is like your three four guy there, which I I think (laughs) I think ultimately that that's what Casey Mize is. You I. I've taken a little bit of flack for this, but to me, he's just not what you would expect from a guy that goes 1-1 in the draft. If I'm taking a pitch, a college pitcher 1-1, I'm expecting to get what the Tigers got from Justin Verlander. Now, granted, he was a second overall pick, but that's that's what I'm expecting if I'm taking but I'm still a But I'm still junior. scared of that rotation when you stack it up against Lance Lynn. 
Lucas Giolito. And who's your number three next year? Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, that's TBD. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the way to look at this, though, is even if they were to say they signed one of them, say they signed either Verlander or Scherzer and brought, brought them back, they still have a lot of uncertainty in that rotation. You know, Casey Mize was was good at times, but still not great. Tarek Skubal was very up and down. Um, Matt Manning got his first taste of the majors and was pretty bad. But one of the things that I referenced in the article is you go back and you look at from the Sox perspective, I'm old enough to remember when Lucas Giolito was the worst pitcher in baseball, and now he's a commercial star. So, But, Steve, we got to remember right now the White Sox get their money from, from Jerry Reinsdorf. The, the Tigers have a pizza franchise. And you go back can, over can, the can, can, this, can, can, can we I, stop for two seconds? Here, just let me finish this one. The, the the fast food delivery market and pizza market in Detroit has to have exploded over the coronavirus pandemic. They are flush with cash versus Jerry Reinsdorf, who's going to need to go pay some tampering fines from our guy Buzz's Chicago Bulls. So you know the Ilch family is out there just sitting on all the money that they've got in from people ordering fast food and Little Caesars, and that Jerry Reinsdorf knows right now that this is going to be a battle of his business versus the fast food industry, which is thriving right now. And this, this is a huge problem. Sorry, I just went tinfoil hat time there. Yeah, if I if I could expand on that a little bit, because I, I I went down that rabbit hole a little bit go on ahead, Twitter, Twitter.com earlier in the week. Um, if you live in the Chicagoland area and you are a White Sox fan and you buy Little Caesars, you are essentially supporting a terrorist organization. You are supporting an organization. You took this bait. You you are supporting an organization that is directly contributing to a division rival of your favorite baseball team. So every time you eat that stupid fucking cheesy bread, you are ultimately helping to finance Carlos Correa in a Detroit Tigers uniform. So think about that. Now, personally me, I make a lot of my decisions when it comes to businesses to boycott based off of baseball alliances. I will not eat Little Caesars. I will not shop at Target. I will not have my car insurance insured by Progressive. I simply will not do that because those are terrorist-based organizations that are directly trying to counteract the efforts of the one sports team that I truly care about out there. And if you really love this baseball team, you should be doing the same. You should be boycotting Little Caesars immediately thank you yes so then i'm glad you took that bait because i saw i saw those tweets and i wanted to see what you had to say about all this stuff you you knew where i was going with that i I knew i knew exactly where you were going with that steve we've been doing this together for a while now um i'm i'm looking at this this list that i wrote out here we're not going to get to everything but um if if i want to go close this one down we've got some cool shit that happened in in white Sox twitter over the last uh, week, two weeks that we've talked about, Steve, I'll, I'll hand it to you. Uh, what, what's some cool shit you've seen in, in, in White Sox Twitter? No, no. Li- listen, th- this segment, this is not <laughs> about me. This is about you and about, you know, your your daddy. So the floor is yours. Take it. You haven't had a good week on, on Twitter.com? You've got nothing? Um, I mean, I, I've had uh, mildly – interesting week for 
for a number of different reasons, but <laughs> listen. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know that we want to go down that path right there, but um, I, like I said, I'll turn the floor over to you because this is this is your segment here. Yeah, so a cool shit that happened in White Sox Twitter. Uh, I, when was this? I can't even remember. This had to have been a couple of days ago. Um, sitting down in my basement, you know, just you know, enjoying a couple of a uh, couple of beverages, and I look at my C- phone. A couple two tree pops. A couple two tree pops, as you like to say. I'm looking at my phone, and all of a sudden, get a notification, and uh, turns out Tony Larusa follows me on Twitter now. Um, so if I've been quiet on on Twitter.com, it's because you know I don't want to piss Tony Larusa off. So I don't even know what to tweet, Steve. Uh, this is a this is a huge problem. Maybe you can help coach me through this. Maybe this would be a good segment. I don't know what to do because I don't understand why Tony Larusa follows me on Twitter. People didn't believe that it was real. It's 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 very. If real. I'm if I'm hearing you right, it almost sounds like you're looking for some advice from like I'm a, looking a, for I'm looking for, for some from advice. like from from like a a big brother type from a figure. big brother. I'm looking for advice from a big brother on how to you know somebody related to me or closely related to me in the family. Uh, I'm looking for advice on, you know, how to now carry my Twitter account because, I mean, I, I got to live up to this. If, if he unfollows me, then there's it's no over. Problem. It's over. There, there's there's no friendship there anymore. But Tony LaRusso follows me now. I need my big brother's advice on, on what I'm supposed to do. Does Did he see the Wolf of 35th Street edit? Does he want more Tony LaRusso content? Is that why he follows me? Or is he following me because he – just, you know, we're both named Tony and we're affiliated with the White Sox. I don't know what it is. Tony LaRusso follows me now on Twitter. I need some advice. I think it's a couple, two, three things. I think, obviously, the name factor probably does come into play there. I, I feel like Tony's probably stick together. That's that's one of my guesses. And I would think that, you know, the the Wolf of 35th Street meme that uh, that is out there, Probably got a probably got a little chuckle about that, and we all know you are the Budweiser cowboy. You run on diesel power, and you know I think there's pro- it probably stands to reason that over the course of his career, Tony may have partaken in some in some diesel here and there. Yeah, I know he's a big Bush guy. Um, there was the the ad. Yeah, but but but, Bush. but you got you got you got to remember same family exactly same family exactly same family right there. So. You know, I'm just I'm I'm appalled at the fact that Tony LaRusso follows me on Twitter. I don't really know how to tweet anything else at this point in time. Um, I feel like I won the game, kind of right. Like you you've reached that final level. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's really interesting that I can you know like personally reach out to uh, one Tony LaRusso right now if I wanted to. I have not yet. I have not. I've, I've refrained. So, um, you know, you know what would really complete the the family and, and just bring it all together would be if you could just get your baby boy Gavin Sheets to follow you and I know I'm I, working on that I'm trying when, when, real I, hard. when I saw when I saw Jake Berger make that tweet earlier in the week asking if Gavin was up you know I, I tagged you to see if you let your baby boy stay up late playing playing you know Xbox Live so I, or whatever I saw some I saw some stuff about Jake Berger when he in that thread and he said that Gavin Sheets doesn't doesn't play video games Steve I know you're a big mm. NHL fan as well Jake Berger oh, yeah. is as well Jake Berger oh, yeah. plays some plays some shell um I don't know what Gavin Sheets was doing up late at night 
But I'm a night owl too. I'm a night owl too. So if Gavin Sheets was up and it took him a little bit of time to get up in the morning and he pissed Burger off, I, I can appreciate that. We just had some instances this week where I called you a little too early and it freaked you out. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, look, it's it's not. Um, I'm it's not. not, I'm not it's, normally up and functioning before you know 9 a.m. So. Uh, 9 a.m. is ge- generous. Uh, I was. I was very taken aback by the fact that I got a call from you before 11 a.m. And I, I thought something had to be up, yeah, you know, no, immediately some, when that something, happened. Something was up. And, something you know, was up. Something, yeah, something was definitely, up. Something was, definitely was up. It was an it important was, phone call. Yeah, you know, you know, a little something, something. It, it's definitely an important phone call. Um, but, you know, and just going back to this, like, I, I think that, you know, I, I was thinking about it today. Gavin Sheets, Jake Berger, you know, they kind of share that that brotherly relationship. Those guys are doing everything together really cool to get them on this show i think it'd be really cool to get them on this show through some stuff it it, it really would and you know nhl with with jake we could talk about how i saw both their first home runs this year i think we need to start a little bit of like a petition to get jake Berger and gavin sheets they're doing cameos together now i think you know we can do cameos together steve i don't know who would pay for that but you know just, just getting those guys on you know, I think I think it'd be a fun discussion. I think and, it'd be a great discussion. And, and the fact of the matter is, Anthony, brothers don't shake hands. Brothers get a hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there it is, right there. You heard it from the source. Um, you got anything else? We've been we've been talking White Sox baseball. You got anything else here? I, I I mean, I could do this all night, but you got any other hot topics you want to talk about? No, I, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of really good ground here. I think we had a lot of fun. You know, I had a couple two tree pops here tonight, feeling feeling pretty good, ready to just uh, you know get get down to brass tacks tomorrow here, get that second opinion, and uh, hopefully get get clearance to just get back out there. Well, Steve, I wish you the best. Um, I, I hope everything goes the way you need it to tomorrow. You've got some assignments to get out there and investigate Lance Lynn. Um, you know, the, the whole trade, the origins and all that other stuff. Uh, we'll see what you can uh, go dig up there. I know you're on the IL, but you're still working hard. And that's what we appreciate here at ONTAP Sportsnet, which by the way, if you haven't gone to ONTAPSportsnet.com, you should be going there uh, to get all of your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs met as a Chicago sports fan. We've got everything covered from Bears, Bulls, Sox, even the, uh, even the Cubs, the Blackhawks, everything that and and more. Steve, it's just so good to sit here and, and and wrap up a Sunday night talking about White Sox baseball. Well, someone so close as you are, I I had a great time. Um, I, I don't want to close it down, but I guess we can close it down if you want to. Yeah, listen as 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 great as this has been, and listen, it's always a pleasure to get together with uh, with you. Talk like White Sox. It, it it really is, you know. It's there. There is really kind of a familial type bond right there, and uh, it's just it's very refreshing to to it have, is. especially around the holidays. It just brings everything together, and uh, you have to really enjoy that. It does, Steve. Cheers, my friend. I don't know if you've got any more. You've got the course light still rolling. Uh, cheers, my friend. We're gonna be back. I think probably in about two weeks. You're going to see a lot of, uh, of of Steve and I carrying some of this stuff through the offseason. Johnny's got some Blackhawk stuff going with Four Feathers Pod. If you want to find Buzz, you can find him over at Bulls on Tap. I'm not sure if they're running a show tonight because uh, Burt Drink gets a little tired on Sunday nights. Uh, but uh, you can find Buzz doing the Bulls postgame shows. Um, 
We'll get the full crew back together, though, for a nice little holiday episode, I'm sure. Uh, but stick with us. We've got the, the, the unfortunate deadline on December 1st coming up, and we'll see what happens through that. But we'll try and keep it fun through the offseason. Maybe we'll get Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger on the show. I, who knows? The aim for the stars. But, Steve, it's always a pleasure, my friend. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.